Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good evening, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It is great to be with you here today. Hey, if this is your first time and someone has invited you to the Greenwood campus or the first time someone sent you the link to watch online, we want to welcome you. Can we give it up for all of our first-time guests right now? Thank you for tuning in. We're excited that you're here, and if you are not brand new, uh, welcome back, and we're excited to be in week number two of a series we started last week on Easter called inseparable. Last week, we're going to dive right in. We've got a lot of content to get through, so we're going to jump right in today. Uh, So grab a pen. If you got your digital notes there, you can pull them out. Last week, we started with this idea of uh, looking at this idea of God loves you. And we said that basically this idea puts people into three categories. The first category is, man, this this statement brings a lot of comfort, a lot of security, a lot of joy, a lot of warmth, and it's it's a it's a, an idea that really plants you on this earth in a, in a solid way. In your life, it has stabilized your life. Then there's a second group of people where it's like, well, yeah, theologically I agree with that, but uh, I don't really feel God's love. I mean, it's not like I'm going to deny that. I just don't really feel his love frequently in my life. And then there's this third group that simply rejects this idea personally, and they say, you know what, I don't believe that God loves me, and in fact, I may not even believe in a God at all because of all of the negative things that happen in the world. People look at the negative circumstances many times, and they basically decide where they come to the conclusion that if God loved me, they wouldn't let these negative circumstances take place. Whether that's the the job loss or a divorce or the death of a loved one or some type of sickness like cancer. And they say that, you know, God, if he loved me, he would have protected me from this negative circumstance. So they really struggle with this idea or don't believe it at all. What I'm so glad, I'm so glad that the Bible actually addresses this issue. We looked at it last week in Romans chapter eight. This is what the apostle Paul writes. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us when we have trouble or calamity or if we're persecuted or we have hunger or we're faced destitution or we're in danger or even when our lives are threatened by death? That it's in, Paul is admitting that it's somewhat intuitive to connect the dots that way. And he answers the question, no, it's not what you think. When you go through pain, when you go through calamity, when you go through difficulty, when your life is threatened by death, no, we, it does not mean that God doesn't love you. Despite all these things, he says, we, are, we have this thing called overwhelming victory through Christ who loved us. We have this, uh, this if you were here last week, you, I talked about this word, upo nikao. We, we are more than conquerors. We don't just win over these things. We win big. How? Through Christ who loved us. In other words, Paul makes this argument that neither death nor life nor angels or demons nor fears for today or worries for tomorrow, nothing can come out of hell, nothing above, nothing below the earth can ever separate you from God's love. He makes this tremendous argument that there is an ins- there is and always has been an inseparable link between God's love and his people. 
And all we did last week is we just simply introduced this idea and then we asked this question. Why is Paul making such a passionate argument, using all the language he possibly can to help you and I understand that if you are a child of God, you can never be separated from that love? Well, it must mean, it must mean that we need God's love in our life. It must mean we need it as much as we need oxygen. It must mean that we need it as much as we need food or sleep or anything else to survive. It is that important to us. So all we did was ask, ask this question. Why, what does it look like to receive or how is it that God's love or how is it that receiving God's love transforms our life? Billy Graham said, if we really knew that God loved us, it would transform our life. No wonder Paul makes this powerful argument that nothing can separate us from God's love. And so that's what I want to do for the rest of our series. I want to try to answer this question. How does receiving God's love, embracing God's love, transform our lives? I want to introduce the first idea to you this week. In your notes, here's the idea. God, the love of God strengthens your soul. The love of God strengthens your soul. I want to look at a passage that's written by the Apostle Paul in another book called Ephesians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in a city called Ephesus. It's one of the most powerful passages. It's, it's some of the greatest content in the entire Bible. And we're going to look at it today in Ephesians chapter 3. I want to jump in at uh, verse 16. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Look what Paul says here. When I think of all of this, sorry, go back to the verse before that, sorry. When I think of all of this, now I want to pause there real quick. This, what is this? It's everything he says in verses 1 through 14. And what Paul says in verses 1 through 14 in chapter 3 of Ephesians is that he is blown away that the message of reconciliation and the message of the gospel has been entrusted to him to take it to the Gentiles and to the Jews. And that this message of grace and mercy can transform people's lives. And it's supposed to go out to the entire world and he has been chosen as God's mouthpiece to do it. So that's what Paul means when he says, when I think of all of this, the gospel is going to change the world, and he is the mouthpiece. I fall to my knees, and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in, heavens, in the heavens and on earth, and then he recites this prayer. So what we're going to read here in verse 15, 16, and 17, 18, 19 is actually a prayer that Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus, and he, I believe he's prayed it's for us as well. He says, I pray that from his glorious, watch this, unlimited resources, that's God, from God's glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with, say it with me, inner strength. Come on, a little bit more energy. Inner strength through his what? Through his what? Through his spirit. This is Paul's, the, the main essence of Paul's prayer. He says, I know you guys need inner strength to deal with life. Don't you need that today? Don't you need inner strength in your soul Today, we're going to learn today that it is the love of God that gives you and I inner strength to be able to deal with the struggles of life and the difficulties of life, whatever those struggles may be persecution, calamity, trouble, danger, your life is being threatened, your marriage is on the rocks, you're stuck in a dead-end job, you have rebellious teenagers, you have physical issues, you, someone in your family died, whatever the struggles are, I know this to be true about you, because it's true about me. I need, and you need, this thing called inner strength through his spirit. This is Paul's prayer, 
Okay, it's what you need. And today we're gonna learn that it is the love of God that gives us this inner strength. Listen, he continues, verse 17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. That's another way of saying the spirit. The spirit in Christ, the Trinity, okay, when God is one God, he's not three gods, he's got three parts, but he's one God. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts, which is an amazing statement by, its, by itself, that Christianity teaches that the God of the universe actually inhabits human beings, okay, but we're not gonna talk about theology today, that, but this just, that's just an amazing statement. Christ will make his home in our hearts as you trust in him. We're gonna circle back to that uh, here in a little bit. But, so make a note there. He says, as you do that, your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you, say it with me, strong. Where? In your inner being. Paul's saying like, you guys, and here's my prayer for you. You are like a tree. Okay, well, as a tree sinks down its roots into the soil to reach down into the water, to draw the water up into the roots, into the tree, so the tree can grow and produce whatever the tree produces, peaches or apples or pears or whatever it does, leaves, flowers. In the same way, you need to sink your roots down deep into the soil of what? Of God's, say it with me, his love. We need to root ourselves in God's love. And when we do that, we draw up the resources, the glorious, unlimited resources that come from God. And he fills our life with his spirit. And it makes us, say it with me, strong. We have inner strength. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to root yourself. Then also, I want you to do something else. He continues, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should. It's like he's saying, hey, by the way, this is your responsibility to understand, watch this, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is what? His love for us. Paul is saying, I don't want you to just root yourselves down into God's love. I want you to understand it. This Greek word, understand, carries the idea of grasping hold of something tightly until it's within your grip. Apprehending it, comprehending something in its entirety. I want you to totally understand how wide and how high and how long and how deep the love of God is. Root yourself into it. Understand it. And then he says one more thing. And by the way, remember, this is a prayer. And I'm praying that you may, watch this, experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. This word understand is a different word. This word experience is a different word from understand. The word experience in the Greek means to have this functional knowledge. It's this Greek word gnosko. It's, it's to, 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 to not just know about something, but to have a functional knowledge of how something works. Let me give you an example. Um, I am familiar with plumbing. I, uh, some, if you ask me, hey, how does plumbing work? You know, my wife and I have, uh, have had several different houses, and we understand that plumbing is this idea that the you know, water comes from the, uh, from the city under the ground into the house. Sometimes it comes from a well. Uh, and it comes into the pipes, and it goes to your bathrooms, and that's why you have water in your sink, and that's why you can flush your toilet, and that's why you can take a shower and do all kinds of stuff with water in your house, because these pipes run into the house, and when you turn knobs, the water turns on. Isn't that how it works? I have an understanding of plumbing, but if you had a plumbing problem, would you call me? 
The reason why you're laughing is because you know I don't have a functional working knowledge of how plumbing works. See, this right here is a plumbing wrench right here. And I think I, 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 I can comprehend that, you know, you put it on the pipe and you tighten it and you, 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 you loosen the pipe. But, but I wouldn't know what pipe to loosen. I wouldn't know what pipe you know, to unloosen. I wouldn't know where the water needs to be turned off. I wouldn't know anything about how to fix a pipe. But so I'm used, this is useless in my hands, even though this is a plumber's wrench. And you can do really good things with this tool if you understood plumbing. And I don't. So when we have a plumbing issue in our house, we call Phil. <laughs> and Phil's a great guy. And Phil comes over and Phil fixes it. And in fact, uh, one day we had a leak at the, main, the water valve, the water main valve, uh, in the, the, where the red handle in your house. Anybody familiar with that? I found it one day. How about that? And, uh, and my wife said, man, it's leaking. I said, well, I don't know what to do. You know, and it was leaking so much that you had to do something. You know? And so we, we did the five-gallon five bucket for a while with towels. And then that kept filling up. We're like, yeah, this is not, not going to work. The five-gallon bucket's not going to save the day here, so let's call Phil. So we get Phil on the phone. Phil's like, hey, go downstairs and look at the, I'm on the phone with Phil, and look at the red, uh, I said, I got it. He said, hey, there's a little bolt right behind the red, uh, you know, thing. I don't even know what to call it. Um, <laughs> handle. And I'm like, Phil, I got it. He's like, just take a wrench and tighten that bolt right behind the, 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 the handle and the leak will stop. I said, you're kidding me. We've been doing this for months. It's a bolt behind the handle. Sure enough, I tighten the bolt. The leak stops. Unbelievable. Why do I tell you that story? Because I don't understand how it works. But Phil does. Here's what this word means. Here's what this word means. It's, it's to have a, I, I want you to have a functional working knowledge of the love of God. Even though you're going to come up short because no one can truly understand how wide and how high and how deep and how long the love of God is. It is, it is incomprehensible. It is scandalous that God would love sinners. It doesn't make any sense. God loves people you hate. And there's reasons why you hate them. God loves all of them. It doesn't even make sense. But I want you to try. I want you to try to root yourself into it. I want you to try to understand it. I want you to experience it. And when you do, something incredible is going to happen. Look what he says in the rest of verse 19. Then... When you root yourself, when you understand the love of God, when you, when you experience it, then you will be made complete with all of the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What? What, what was he smoking when he wrote this? Are you serious? So what, what you're saying is, like when I root myself and understand the love of God and experience the love of God and come to a functional work acknowledge of how it works, that he loves me even though I'm a sinner, then I will be made complete as a human being and filled with all of the life and power that comes from God? What? Is that really how it works? Yes, it is. This is a supernatural thing. This is actually a, different, a difficult phrase to translate from Greek to English. And that's why in your Bible, it may say something different in the last part of Ephesians 3, verse 19. Let me give you a few, let me give you a few options here. This is the contemporary English version. This is the same translation. Then, once you're rooted, understand, and experience the love of God, your lives will be filled with all that God is. Whoa. 
says the same thing. All that is in God will come into me. The English Standard Version says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a difficult, difficult phrase to translate. My favorite translation is the Amplified Bible. It says this, so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. You imagine being completely filled and flooded with God's spirit and God's power and God's love? In your notes, this is the best way I could sum it up. God gives what he is to you. He puts what's in him inside of you. And in doing so, he strengthens your inner being. Wow, this is incredible stuff. Sure enough, you know, if you look at the New Testament and you read it, you find hints of this in all different places. In a different letter that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse, verse 23, Paul says this, but the Holy Spirit, again, the Spirit of God, produces this kind of fruit in our lives, in our inner being, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the character traits of Jesus himself. And they come from heaven by the Spirit. And they start to become real in you. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a divine, supernatural life that's available to you and I. If, if we are rooted and we understand and we experience the love of God. Now, I wish that I could say a prayer and make all of this true for you right now. I wish we could line you up and baptize all of you and, and after you come out of the water, you're filled with all the fullness of God, all the life and power that comes from God. I wish that there was a, some dust I could sprinkle on you and, you know, and, 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 and you'd walk out of here filled with all that God is. But it doesn't work that way. In fact, if we... Look back in the passage of verse 17, it says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. You see, the way that you root yourself, the way that you understand and comprehend, the way that you experience the love of God, you, you have to trust him. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just get zapped into you. Someone can't just pray over you. You actually, you actually have to trust in God. This word trust is this Greek word pistis or pistuo. It's translated different ways. It means to have confidence. It means to have full, it means to be pers completely persuaded. In, in the secular world, the word pistis in, uh, in the ancient secular world, it was used as a, a word that said, hey, this is a guarantee. People would have a, a warranty or a guarantee. That was in the secular way the word was used. Well, in the scriptures, it's used like, like this is God's guarantee to you. It's his warranty. Like he is putting his word on this and you can trust in him. Wow. You know, the Bible is constantly trying to encourage us and exhort us to trust in God. One of my favorites is from the prophet Isaiah. He said this. I'm sorry. Yeah, Isaiah 26. He says, trust in the Lord always in every situation. Why? Why should I trust in the Lord? Why should I put my full confidence in God in every situation in my life? Well, you have to understand, for the Lord your God is the eternal rock. Now, this might sound like simple language to you, like rock, eternal rock, but for the Jews, for God's people, 
A rock was a symbol of complete and utter strength. It was immovable. If you remember when Moses was taking the children of Israel, trying to take them through the, into the promised land, they ran out of water and they were thirsty. What did he do? He struck the what? He struck the, the rock. And what came out of the rock? You remember? Enough water for all the Israelites to drink. So for the Israelites, the rock is this source of soul satisfaction. It's the source of happiness. It's the source of strength. When, when, when the Bible says trust in God, it's like, because he's a rock, it's like, man, you can count on him. He is immovable. There's a verse that was very special to me. It's found in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, back in 2006, when our church was not doing so hot, some of you were here for that, uh, we had a pastoral transition, and I was 28 years old and didn't know what I was doing, and our founding pastor had retired, and there was a lot of confusion, and the church was just going down, 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 and people were leaving, and finances were going down, and it was just like everything was failing, at least it seemed to me. I tried to do everything with the staff to, to, to fix things and right the ship and, you know, let people know, and it seemed like the more we tried to fix stuff, the worse it got. Some of you remember that. I got to the point where it's was like, well, I'm done, because I got no more sermons to preach, I've got nothing more to say, I've said everything I've had to say, and, you know, it's not helping. And each week, more and more families would leave the church. And I got to this point where I just said, God, I cannot do anything to fix this problem. And that's when the Lord spoke to me through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 32, verse 27. He says to me, I'm the Lord. The God of all the peoples on the earth. Simple idea. Like I'm in charge. And then this is what grabbed me and still grabs me today. Is anything too hard for me? I'm like, well, you put it like that. No. Nothing. In fact, if you go back to the prayer that Paul started in Ephesians... He says, I fell to my knees and I prayed to the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Why does he insert that in there? Because he wants, he wants the Ephesians, he wants you, he wants me to know. Uh, remember, um, creation was this matter that wasn't here and then it was. Like God said, let there be light and there was light. Remember that God created the stars and the sun and the moon. And remember, he created human beings out of dirt. Remember, there is nothing too hard for me. Amen? Amen? What is he trying to tell us? He's trying to say, you can trust him. You can, he, there's nothing too hard for God. And so I did. I trusted him. I put my faith in him. And all of a sudden, our church started to turn around, and people started to attend and come to Christ and grow in Christ. And people were baptized, getting baptized and getting saved. And, and here we are, 2021. Is anything too hard for me? So I'm like, I'm all in on this deal. Like, whatever, diffi whatever, whatever difficulty comes my way, like, it, it's like, well, I mean, we, God, I mean, we trust in him. Whatever difficulty comes over, we, I've seen it. I've felt it. Like, nothing is too hard for him. 
The Bible is constantly encouraging us to trust in him, trust in him, trust in him. But let me push in a little bit, little bit harder here, a little bit closer here. What exactly do we need to trust in? When Paul says Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him, then you will root yourself down into his love and you'll understand his love and you will experience his love. What, what, is it, what do we have to actually trust in here in your notes? You have to trust in his love. If you want this power that comes from God, this strength that comes from God, if you want to be strengthened in your inner being, you have to trust in his love. What does it mean for God to love us? Well, last week we said it certainly doesn't mean that he protects us from pain. If that were the case, <laughs> he doesn't love any of us. <laughs> Amen? Anybody got through some pain right now? Eh? No? Everybody's got an easy life? It can't mean that he protects us from pain. He protects us from COVID. He protects us from cancer. He protects us from a car accident. It can't mean that he protects us from betrayal. We get betrayed. Like, they, like we get cancer. Like, we, people die. People we love pass away. So, so it cannot possibly mean that God protects us from pain or suffering or hurt or calamity. Well, then what does it mean for God to love you and for God to love me? We have, if we're going to trust in that love, we have to know what it means. And, and here's what it means. It's real simple. Love is will to do good. It's will to do good. You say, what the heck does that mean? Well, it's this commitment from God to always do what is good for you. It is God's decision to look at you and say to you, I will always, 100% of the time, do what is good for you. That's a tough one. Because we like to argue about what's good for us. We have different ideas about what's good for us, don't we? Anybody raising children? Don't they have different ideas about what's good for them? <laughs> and you as a father or a mother are like, that ain't good for you. You ain't doing that. Anybody? Amen? Yeah? No parents out there today? Yeah. God is committed to do what is good for you, even if you disagree about what is good for you. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says these incredible words. He says, look, here's the deal. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Now, the whole law, that's a big statement because the whole law is 613 commandments, not just the 10 commandments. Okay, so if you go back to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, you'll find 613 specific laws for God's people. He says all of them, all 613 can be fulfilled or obeyed in doing this one thing, love your neighbor as yourself. How can you say that? Paul, well, here's why. Because when you love your neighbor as yourself, you do what's good for them. And if you do what's good for them, you won't steal their ox. You won't covet their, your neighbor's wife. You won't, you know, you know do, do anything wrong to them. You, you, you won't break any of the other laws. Because you're always going to do what's right for your neighbor or what's good for your neighbor. Wow. God's committed to do what's good for you. This is the beauty of Romans 8.28. This is the power behind Romans 8.28. Something else that the Apostle Paul wrote. 
Check it out. He says, and we know. And now, it's, what's interesting is this word know is the word gnosko. Same functional knowledge. Experiential knowledge. We have experiential knowledge that God causes everything to say it with me. Say it with me. Work together. Everything. Both the evil and the good. Both the blessings and the difficulties. For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Wow. See, there is tremendous power behind this statement. If you believe that God is committed to your good, if you're convinced and fully persuaded that God will always do right by you, even if there's pain or difficulty. See, here's what happens. You're going through life and you're completely convinced that God loves you. And, God, and what that means is he's committed to do what's good for you. You're completely convinced of it. You're persuaded. No, you cannot be talked out of it. You have faith in God because he's going to do what's right by you. And then something terrible happens. Something difficult happens at work. You get let go. You, you, there's a financial setback. Somebody gets sick. Diagnosed, a diagnosis comes in. And, and the, the immediate thought process is not, here's, watch this, why me? Or how could he let this happen? Or where's God? Which is so typical of Christians and even non-Christians. The immediate knee-jerk reaction is, why, how, like who, are you not paying attention? How could you let this happen? Instead of that being your knee-jerk reaction, when, you totally, when you're totally convinced that God is committed to do what is good for you, which means he loves you, here, here's what your immediate reaction becomes. Something good will come from this. Something good will come from this. I don't know what it is. And I may not even like the good that comes from this. But because I know God is good, he will never let me down. He's always working for my good. Something good will come from this. I want to read you the words of a 17th century monk named Brother Lawrence. It's one of my favorite books, Practicing the Presence of God. It's helped me so many years ago as a youth pastor when I was reading and trying to understand faith and God and he said these words, powerful words. If we really knew just how much he loves us, we would always be willing to receive anything from his hand. We would receive the bitter and the sweet without distinction. Wow. These are the ideas that have changed my life. These are the ideas that have shaped my ability to have strength to meet negative circumstances and difficulties as they come, and they come. Some of you know Chase Smith passed away Sunday while I was preaching. Beautiful, beautiful man of God. We're, I'm going to do his funeral on Tuesday. Difficult, heavy. I've been talking with Kelly and Brad this week, the parents. So painful. But not even death can separate us from the love of God. Because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so we face into these difficulties. We face into these struggles, these, these pains and the hardship with courage and inner strength. From where? From where? From being rooted and from understanding and from experiencing, having a working knowledge of the reality that God will always do what is best 
for you. Something good is going to come. Something, some incredible things have already come from the death of Chase Smith, from his struggle with cancer. In fact, <laughs> some of his family members were baptized last weekend because of Chase's struggle with cancer. And that's just the beginning. His funeral is going to be live, broadcast out to I don't know how many people across the country. And I'm going to be able to stand up and talk about how Chase's message was to put Christ at the center of your life. That was his message. And on his behalf, I'm going to be able to share that with who knows how many people watching. Something good is going to come from this. Two questions for you as we wrap up. Where do you need inner strength? Is it in your marriage, if you're married? Is it with a bout of depression right now, you're struggling? Is it with a, a, a bout of anxiety that's overtaken you? Where do you need inner soul strength? What are the difficulties in your life? You know where it is, I don't. I've got my own struggles. I'm just like, God, I need strength to face into this. I need strength to deal, to deal with the situation. Where's yours? What if you rooted yourself down deep into God's love? What if you understood it, the length and breadth and height? And what if you experienced it by trusting him? And that is my question today. Will you trust in his love? Will you trust in his love? Oh, that is the question. Christ will make his home in our hearts as we trust him, the eternal rock I had this idea before the service, like, you know how you played show and tell in kindergarten or first grade? Anybody remember that? You'd bring something in from your house and you would show it and then you would tell about it. I pictured, for some reason, I pictured Jesus showing up to the kindergarten class for show and tell. Dumb idea, I'm sure. And we're all sitting there and it's Jesus' turn to show and tell. And what would he say? What would he have in his hand? And I picture Jesus just holding a cross, a little wooden cross. And I pictured him talking to the, the kindergarten kids there like, this is my show and tell. See this cross? It represents my love for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die on a cross like this for your sin so that you can be in fellowship with me and my Father and my Spirit can come live inside of you. So when you look at a cross, it, it, what you're really looking at is love. I laid, I laid down my life because I love you. Will you trust my love? couldn't give anything more to show you my love than my own life. Will you trust my love? Will you trust his love? Will you put your faith in Christ? Will you believe that he is 100% committed to do what is best for you? That's what he did on the cross. It's what you needed most. You needed redemption, forgiveness. You needed to have your sin washed away. He did what you needed most by dying on the cross. Will you reach out in faith right now and trust him? Will you put your confidence in him today? I'm gonna to say a simple prayer. And if you feel led into this moment to pray, to trust in Christ, just take these words and make them your own. 
It's a prayer he loves to answer. With simple childlike faith, will you just pray these words? Jesus, I receive your love. Yes, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross to wash away my sin. To forgive me. To make it possible for us to have fellowship. Fill my spirit right now with your spirit as I put my confidence in you. Forgive me of my sin. Be my savior today. And from this day forward, help me to trust you, to root myself in your love, to understand, grasp, take hold of your love and experience it in my life as I trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, our church wants to rejoice with you, don't we, church? Amen. If you did just pray that prayer, we would love to get you started with what we call our save box. It's just like kind of a starter kit to get you going on your new journey of faith and your faith in Christ. Inside this box, there's a Bible. There is some instructions on baptism and how to get connected to the church. And there's also a coffee cup in here to say congratulations. So if you would text the word SAVE to 65248, if you're local right here in the auditorium, you can actually pick one of these up at the information desk back there if you text the word SAVE. If you're watching online, text the word SAVE and we will send one of these to you in the mail. Can we give God glory one more time, church? Amen. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand things off to our local teams Father thank you so much for your love help us help us to root ourselves in your love to do our best to understand it to experience your love that we might be strong, that we might have inner strength to be able to deal with the realities of life, the difficulties and the challenges. Fill us with your strength by your spirit in our inner being as we trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Right now, I'm gonna hand things off to the local teams. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.